Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. Drilling Deep is the freight cast, freight waves, freight cast podcast where we drill deep. We drill deep into lots of things. We drill deep into the oil markets where I have a long expertise, and we drill deep with some internal and external experts on a variety of subjects. And today we're going to be talking to an internal guest, Todd Maiden. He is our economics editor, our finance editor for FreightWaves. And uh, it's been quite a year, Todd. You've been watching it this year. You've been watching it for many years. Uh, let's get right to the news and what you think the impact's going to be uh, of the Celadon uh, bankruptcy and the Celadon closure. Did you see that coming? They were struggling for a long time, trying to find new life. And uh, they ultimately, at the end, they were not able to. What do you think is going to be the impact of their dissolution? It, you know, fundamentally, there really shouldn't be uh, a, much of an impact to the broader market. I mean, we're talking about 3,000 trucks in a, you know, 1.6 million for hire truck market and, you know, maybe another 700,000 with the private fleet. So yeah, that's that's not a, a huge, uh, you know, removal of capacity. Um, it will affect that trade lane, that north-south, the cross-border trade lane. Uh, so, you know, I think they're, they're, it's, it's funny. So the, the stocks really, the, the TLs bounced kind of the day, uh, that it happened. Knight had the biggest, Knight Swift had the biggest reaction, uh, up like 4% and, and Werner was right behind Knight. But then I think when people kind of drilled down on it and, and looked at who it's most likely to impact versus a blanket trade on the news, they they focused in on PAM Transportation and uh, CFI, the, the Contract Freighters Inc. That's now part of uh, Transforce and TFI International. And you know, PAM has PAM Transportation has about two thousand trucks. Uh, if you include their owner operators, and they have forty percent, you know, more than forty percent cross border exposure. And then CFI has like twenty three hundred trucks in that lane. Um, you know the. The stocks kind of traded in line with the market. The TL stocks did, but if you look at Pam Transportation, I think the week after it, you know, it, it had gapped up about eighteen uh, percent. Oh, so there was a pretty visceral reaction to it. And and CFI, the the TFI gets diluted a little bit because it's a, a unit within another company. But that stock was up four percent, you know, the following week. So Todd, you've got a, an eighteen percent jump in Pam. You said as people digested the news of the Celadon closure and people started to realize that they're going to be more affected than the the broad truckload sector. Uh, do you think an eighteen percent jump is justified? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do think they're going to they're going to benefit, and you know, it's how quickly how quickly can you jump in? Uh, you don't have forever, and you know. The, I mean, most shippers aren't going to wait around. Their their product has to move, and they're going to look for for you know whoever and and however they can do it. They might have to go broker channels. They might have to break it up. You know, it's not going to probably all move to. <clears throat> they're not going to be able to 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 move it all as one big unit uh, under contract to someone else. So, if you can move quickly and you can jump in, and you know, it's certainly going to improve their their utilization, and it will. You know, maybe help them build out some density. Maybe they get some uh, ability to to balance some lanes where they were they were unbalanced. So it's it, yeah, it's certainly a, a shot in the arm. Uh, it's just how quickly you can you're you're in position to to jump on it and move. Um, as far as you know, buying that equipment that that will go to auction and I, you know, I don't know how much equipment they had that they that that was kind of. Uh, 
underutilized that they can immediately bolster utilization on. So that tough to say, but it's it's certainly certainly advantageous to the stock. And and I as the near term clear winner, uh, you know, one of a couple near term clear winners, it's it's going to maybe prop that stock up for a while. Well, of course, you're you're recording this podcast before you've had a chance to hear the prior episode of Drilling Deep, where I spoke with Chris Visser of J.D. Power about the used truck market. So anyway, um, you know, it's interesting. You said that they they jumped 4%. Some of the big truckload stocks jumped 4% before everybody kind of realized that. As, as a Wall Street analyst, do you just kind of expect moves like that? And uh, you, you figure they're not going to last. Uh, they're just a, a knee-jerk reaction. And then when people stop and think, they say, okay, there's no impact on a big truckload carrier, but let's look at this company specifically, a company like Pam, and they get the benefit. Yeah, there's, I mean, like to that point, I think the knee-jerk reaction on the day, who's the biggest, what's the biggest truckload name? Okay, it's Knight Swift. And that stock was up the most. Uh, so, you know, I know some of it is, is news generated algorithms and and you know or traders that are immediately looking to play a space that maybe you know they don't normally play uh, and I think in the the Pam transportation the way that it didn't move much the first day a little bit more by day three and then one week later it had really shot up so I think that time there it it took for most investors to dissect who the winner was. Uh, and for analysts to do the same is is kind of the it, it really played out in the trading of that stock. So, Todd, you were a buy side analyst for many years. You referred to the algorithm driven or the news driven buying of a truckload stock uh, in, in reaction to the sell it on closure. Does that drive you crazy? Uh, all the work you do to try to put a valuation on a company and then it goes nuts. Or do you just figure that's part of the landscape? It doesn't last and you'll just deal with it. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Uh, when you're when you're providing equity research, you always pretty much look at the fundamentals. Uh, you look at momentum around how the stocks trade as well before you make a you know buy sell hold call or or try to get more constructive on a space. You you, you look at the technicals, but it, it, it what was always frustrating is. When a news event, when something happens, and it's it, like you said, it, it might not last. It does move the space uh, meaningfully at times, and a lot of times it's it's not the the move you had anticipated wanted, uh, and it's one that's not going to stick around. And you're also a lot of that happens when you have uh, people outside of that don't normally transport or trade the transports that that come in and they want to trade them because. Of, on the news and they don't understand fundamentally what's what's occurring and that it, it's it's an event that's likely not to last. So, yeah, that unfortunately, that's uh, that's just kind of part of it. You, you have that noise and it it can mess up a, a trade and it can mess up a call. And you, yeah, you know, you have to weather it and adjust and, and <laughs> keep plugging on. But that is it is frustrating. I remember a quote years ago from a fund manager. It wasn't a transportation or anything like that. He was just saying he'd he talked to an investor who had pulled out of his fund, and he said to the investor, "Well, why did you pull out of the fund?" And the investor said, "Well, you had a bad week last week. This is this is a mutual fund. You know, we are supposed to invest for the long term." And the guy pulled out because of a bad week. So anyway, 
You know, we, you talked earlier about capacity and how much capacity was going to be lost because of selling on. Uh, you recently did a story uh, for Freightways about Morgan Stanley's projections about why capacity was going to undergo a tightening in 2020 after a loosening that really, I th- think, probably started, you know, the middle of last year and, and continues today or maybe it's stabilized today. But what were some of the key reasons that Morgan g- uh, gave for that? And, and what do you think about them? Yeah, that report was interesting. It it uh, pulled together everything that had been talked about, uh, you know, by a few analysts more and more over the last several weeks and couple months. Uh, and it was conversation that that wasn't new uh, coming into the year. We knew that all these things uh, like ELDs to AOBRDs, the drug and alcohol clearinghouse, uh, you know, e- ELDs. The conversion was yesterday. The drug and alcohol clearinghouses reporting positive or failed tests is Jan 6. Um, higher insurance premiums, we were seeing that earlier in this year and, and even kind of last year. Um, so, you know, those were a, a few of the items that were discussed. They also talked about IMO 2020, another one that was known. Uh, and then the, the independent contractor, the California, the AB5 uh, law. So I, I think that those were all known, but as the date, the dates for the implementation of those approached, uh, which is, you know, year in for most, uh, I think all the analysts started to look at that, the fact that maybe industrial production, uh, the manufacturing segments, uh, ISM, you know, maybe they're, they're kind of, they've been under pressure for a while, but maybe they're bumping off of what could be the low for the cycle. Uh, so I think they looked at that and they realized that the comps at some point inflect positively next year and that spot rates have been underwater for a year and contractual rates are beginning to go negative, have in some cases beginning to go negative, probably will be negative uh, in the beginning of next year. So I think they kind of put all that together and said, now's the time. Uh, you know, you these things the TLs especially, transports in general, but TLs really trade out well ahead of a fundamental improvement. Um, So I I think those items, uh, the the capacity uh, curbing or capacity constraining uh, headwinds that the industry faces, I think, were really the catalyst for a lot of analysts to become more bullish. And Morgan Stanley certainly uh, kind of encapsulated it best in a a large multi- analyst piece that they put out uh, last week, I believe. Okay. You, you know, you, you talk about all the things that were expected, the uh, AOBRD uh, lapse or the end of that, uh, the end of that exemption, et cetera, et cetera. But one thing that was not on the calendar were was the rise in insurance rates. And, they, you know, they're all the, the increases. You can't put a, a one figure on it, say they're up on an average of X because there's such huge variety. But is that the, the real capacity killer going into 2020 that uh, is, is so unknown just because you just can never really know how that insurance market's going to play out? Yeah, I think it it's a continuation. It's been there for a while now uh, with the abundance of, you know, so-called nuclear verdicts uh, or larger and larger jury verdicts in catastrophic, uh, you know, TL-related incidents or accidents. Uh, I, I think insurance companies and and the the secondary risk pools are really struggling to figure out how to manage. You know, how do you manage a risk when you almost don't know what the loss could be? Uh, so 
<clears throat> I, I think that, that that's been occurring, but the premiums, it's, it's really started to hit with premiums. Uh, it, I mean, premiums on the good side are up 50%. If you're lucky, your premium could double easily double uh, in, in a year, in a year over year change. So you, you look at that, you look at cost inflation across most uh, lines on the, the P&L for, for, for most carriers. And it, I, I think that's part of the reason that you saw nearly 800 carriers exit this year. And it's also a big part of the reason that w- what's not captured in that 800 carriers failing or exiting or declaring bankruptcy is a lot of carriers have just decided to either reduce capacity, you know, sell trucks or, or just idle park the trucks. Um, and, and it's all cost related. So th- there's capacity that's been leaving uh, failures or otherwise. And this is really one of the big cost. I mean, it's the, it's the biggest cost item out there right now in a cost uh, or operating expense backdrop that is pretty much inflation across the board on every cost line. So this is, it's, it's really pushing a lot of, you know, marginal operators to the sidelines. Is that one of the reasons, you know, you also wrote about Goldman Sachs. They came out with a report about better days ahead. Uh, They put a buy rating on several stocks. They talked about a bottom, but is that a bottom of truckload activity or a loan or a wider bottoming in the industrial sector? Theirs was both. Uh, They said, you know, to the latter part first, they talked about this likely being uh, so purchase manager, purchasing managers index uh, uh, from ISM. They, they said that this is probably the low for that of this cycle, that it, it you know, had been off for more than a year now or moving lower for more than a year, sub 50 for, I guess, since August, and that they felt like the recent sequential move higher not much, still in contraction territory, combined with they have a uh, proprietary manufacturing index, uh, Goldman Sachs does, they felt like maybe this is the at least leveling out of the the declines in the industrial sector. Um, So they they felt like that. And then the the, fact that they think truck capacity normalizes next year, uh, and I think they call 3Q, they think it will actually reverse. Um, so the, the capacity reductions will be sharp. And then actually the supply-demand dynamic could could reverse and 3Q. Those are really the reasons for the call. So it was kind of both. Uh, they relied on the industrial and the, the capacity trimming in the TL uh, as reasons for their call. But what was interesting in their estimates for 2020, while they – they're calling capacity to come off in TLs and and, and the manufacturing segments to to normalize in 2020. Their estimates were still eight to ten percent below consensus estimates, uh, but their estimates for 2021 were eight percent higher. So I think that their call, even though it's a 2020 call, is really more back half loaded in 2020 to say the least. 
Yeah, there were so many earnings calls and analyst reports like you just talked about that keep talking about the second half of last year. And at a certain point, you started to wonder whether this was just herd consensus that everybody said, well, everybody else says it's the second half is going to be good, so I should do it too. Now, I don't want to downplay the hard work of the analysts at Goldman Sachs. I'm sure they didn't do it, but it just seems unanimous that everything's going to be better in the second half of next year. And then maybe that's reasonable because of all the things we've talked about today that, uh, that have taken the capacity out of the market. Yeah, it is. I mean, analysts, and we did it too, unless you have a strong conviction to a call that's contrary uh, than what your peers are doing, you know, certainly around consensus estimates on a name, because a lot of the, the service providers uh, that aggregate earnings estimates, uh, like, like first call, once you're outside by a certain window, uh, they will exclude you from the consensus estimate. So, you know, you don't, you don't want to go through that one, but, but also unless you have a strong conviction one way or the other, it's tough to, to deviate from the pack too far. Um, but yeah. And that's, and that's why you see so few cell ratings, you know, a cell rating is, is, is notable. <laughs> and uh, I still remember back, uh, back at the end of the, the, the dot-com boom, uh, something like 25% of all cell ratings on the street were coming from one company. It was a, a, an affiliate place I worked for at Standard & Poor's, but the reason is they didn't have any investment banking business. That was always cited as the reason why they could be out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's true. You know, it, and you see it when, when something IPOs, it's it's rare. Uh, anybody that was on the, the banking deal, uh, when they're, when they're <clears throat> their lockout period, when they can begin publishing research, you know, uh, after the, the stock IPOs, I mean, you never see anyone that comes out. It's rare to even get a, uh, a neutral rating. It, it's usually however many were on the deal. If there were 12 on the deal, it's, it's 11 buys and maybe a neutral. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's all right. Tom, let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up then with a question. You're not on that side anymore. You are foot, foot loose and fancy free here at Freight Waves. A lot of alliteration there with the letter F. So you think second half of 2020 is a, is a reasonable guess about when things turn up? You know, it's always easier to add trucking capacity, to add tractors to fleets than it is to purge those. And it seems to take a while for those to truly leave the industry or become idle. Uh, and the one thing I will say is different this time is the timing on all of these catalysts, whether it's regulation or or <clears throat> most of these are regulation, but uh, the, or the, like the insurance premiums and the cost inflation, it, it's all kind of pointing into a real tight time window. And that normally doesn't happen. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, next year, bid season is predominantly in the beginning of the year, first half of the year, uh, March, April, May, June. So I don't think you get in material inflection in spot rates before then to where they meaningfully impact contractual negotiations for the full year of 2020. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's why I, I, pushing it to later in the year is probably the call. Um, but the stocks are going to trade out well ahead, well ahead of any you know, inflection point in spot rates. So, well, they clearly did this year. Some of them were up 14, 15% on the year. Granted, that's not as high as the S&P 500, but they were up 14 to 15% when they were coming out every quarter with rotten earnings. So uh, that, that kind of proves your point. 
So anyway, Todd Maiden, I want to thank you for joining us today on Drilling Deep. Uh, we'll be back and actually we're not going to be back in just a second. We are going to go right now and you're going to hear my views on oil in 2020. So let's wrap up this year on Drilling Deep by talking about our specialty, which is oil. Last year on Christmas Eve, diesel consumers like truck drivers got this great gift, the lowest commodity price for ultra-low sulfur diesel on the CME exchange in years. Maybe you didn't notice it because it was occurring as stock markets were plummeting. So if you had any money in the stock market, you were likely watching that get hammered and the diesel price slide might have just passed you by. I do know a stockbroker friend of mine who said that year, last year on December 24th, he drove with his family to visit another relative and he was in a miserable mood because of the stock market collapsed uh, and it just ruined the evening. So I don't know if that happened to any diesel people. I would imagine not. They would have been happy. But here we are almost a year later and what's happened? The commodity price, that, that CME, that ULSD price on CME, that tacked on about 36 cents a gallon in the last year. But did you notice that? No, because retail prices never really captured that first decline down to December 24th, and more recently, they haven't captured all the increase. You know what the DOE price was last year for the week that included Christmas Eve? Three oh four eight a gallon. That's three dollars four cents and eight tenths and eight tenths of a cent a gallon. You know what it is now? The most recent number? It's two tenths of a cent lower. That's it. One year, a two tenths of a cent change. Even the lowest number of the year for the DOE price was just about $0.08 cents lower than the current price, and the highest price was about $0.13 cents more than today's price, and that was all the way back in May. But this was supposed to be the year when diesel prices were going to surge as a result of IMO 2020, and so far it has not happened. It still might. The reality is that an awful lot of diesel molecules need to be moved into the marine fuel market from their current markets, and I still have trouble accepting that that is a transition that can occur without some sort of price surge. Of course, I thought it was going to come by now, and it hasn't. There's nothing in the data to suggest that refiners are producing massive amounts of more diesel molecules uh, to prevent any kind of a spike. So why hasn't it occurred? I'm going to be honest, and I'm going to tell you, I really don't know. But you know what? I'm not hearing from too many other analysts who are telling me that they understand why it hasn't occurred either. In many cases, they just kind of pushed, uh, pushed forward. The, or really pushed back when they think it's going to occur. And now they're talking about March or April, but ultimately they're kind of baffled too. So what I would say to you, to those of you who consume diesel is that I hope you enjoyed your relatively calm 2019. Going into 2020, most of the models on oil are pointing to lower prices overall. Supply demand is out of balance in favor of consumers. So you might enjoy next year even more than you enjoyed this year. And let me say that if IMO 2020 gets fully implemented without any sort of chaos, a lot of people like me are going to need to go back to the drawing board and figure out just how we got this one so completely and totally wrong. This is only our fourth podcast of Drilling Deep. We just launched it late in the year, but I'm looking forward to a lot more in 2020. Thanks for listening. I'm John Kingston for Freight Waves Freightcasts.